You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. First Kings 19, we, we took a break last week because of communion, and so we'll go back to the story that we left off on two weeks ago. Let's read our text this morning, and then I'll just make a few comments, do a quick review, and then continue where we left off two weeks ago. First Kings chapter 19, if you've been following this series, we're smack dab in the middle of the life of Elijah. Chapter 19, starting at verse 1, this comes right after the, the, the true mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel, right? God has shown himself victoriously in all of his glory. The false prophets of Baal were exposed. Baal was a farce. Everyone knew it. And you can sense that at this time, Elijah is excited about the opportunity for national revival. That this could be the moment that Israel would fully turn to the Savior. But that was not to be. 1 Kings 19.1 And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, a hundred and twenty miles away was this journey, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him. And let me just stop here about this point, and I I think it's worth saying. um, We started off this chapter, as we started off, Notice that Jezebel sends a messenger to say, Elijah, you are going to die. It is a messenger of death. Here, an angel comes. Do you know that the word for angel and the word for messenger are identical? They're they're the same word. That's what an angel means. It is a messenger. And I find it ironic that after he was sent this message of death by this messenger, God chooses to send him another messenger, a messenger of life. Thank God for messages of life. And here Elijah is about to meet the God that he serves, and it will change him in a profound way. Verse 6. Well, verse 5, he says, Arise and eat, verse 6. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too far for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, remember that's Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. And he came and he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, 
I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and have slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, that thou shalt anoint to be king over Israel, and Elijah the son of Shaphath of Abel-Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elijah slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. I want to take some time this morning just to bring you up to speed on our story, to quickly review, and uh, we'll talk about the two points from last two weeks ago, and I think I'll just make one point this morning. So just stay with me, okay? Here is Elijah, again, mountaintop experience. Could you imagine being there and seeing what he witnessed, what the entire nation of Israel witnessed, a full display of the magnitude, the glory, the value, the worth, the power of God Almighty. Yahweh was on display, and it was glorious. The people's hearts had been turned, and uh, there was an excitement, and, and Elijah then runs uh, before Ahab, 17 miles to Jezreel, and when he gets there, and Ahab tells the news to the queen, she's not enthusiastic about it at all. Matter of fact, she sends the messenger of death to say, I'm going to kill you. And it sends Elijah into a deep, dark depression. We talked about this two weeks ago. I think it's worth viewing again. There's a myth in Christianity that says faith is always smiling. That's a myth, my friend. That is not true. Faith is not always smiling. Let's just be honest this morning. There is real tragedy, darkness, despair, and depression, even in the lives of God's choicest servants. We have this idea sometimes that we're supposed to go around with a cheesy plastic smile on our faces and pretend that all is well. When all is not well, there is real pain. There is real sorrow. 
The Psalms themselves, two-thirds of the Psalms are written in the minor key, which is lament. Two-thirds of the Psalms lament. The psalmists are pouring out out their hearts to God, saying, God, where are you? What's happening? It's dark. The heavens are like brass. It seems like no one is hearing me. And our Savior himself, Jesus Christ, is known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He did not live his life in constant sorrow. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is this, that he understood rejection. He understood slander. He understood abandonment. He understood physical pain, real physical pain. He he understood weeping over loss. You hear from his own lips an orphan cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And death itself. This is our Savior. This is our King. This is our leader. And so, before we move on, I, I said this before, and I'll say it again. I don't believe this is a text about depression and anxiety and those things. I think it's helpful. I don't think that's the main point. But what you and I need to understand this morning and make it very clear in our own hearts and minds that faith is not always smiling. There are seasons of life. There is darkness. There is grief. But for the believer, there is purpose and there is hope. There is purpose and there is hope. I was reading a book this last week by Margaret Ashmore. And she was talking about her mother and father. They lived in Texas. They had a dream home that they had designed. And so they bought this property. They moved their little trailer to live in as they, as they would work from the trailer for their dream home. And before the first nail ever went into a two-by-four, her mother had a massive heart attack and died. Her father was devastated. Devastated. She had been out of the home, but she knew that the empty chair there would be devastating for him, so she moved back home with her father. She brought her dog, Baxter, with her, and they lived there together. After several days, she had a a visit with some friends out of town, and as she was gone, her dog, Baxter, um, took off after something, a rabbit, whatever, but took off into the woods, and her father then grabbed a flashlight, it was getting dark out, and followed this dog into the woods. And as he followed the dog, he went you know, through these ravines, over old barbed wire, through this bush and brush. It was a dark night, clouds everywhere, no moon, no stars. And as he's in the middle of this, looking for this dumb dog, uh, not that dumb dogs are all dumb, cats are, dogs aren't. Um, but as he looked for this dog, his flashlight batteries died. In the middle of darkness, the flashlight went out. Margaret said the next day she came home, her father was at the kitchen table drinking coffee. He was as peaceful as could be. The dog was a little sheepish by his feet. He had found the dog. And as he told the story, Margaret said to her dad, when the flashlight went out and he was in the middle of no place, Dad, what did you do? And he said, I sat down. He said, what? You sat down. He said, yes, I sat down. And she said, why? And he said, because I knew the sun was coming up in the morning. Do you understand that? Believer, 
the sun is coming up in the morning. And the darkness and the sorrow might last for a long, long time. But we have hope and we have purpose and we have a Savior. And all will be well. And if you don't believe that for yourself today, believe me when I tell that to you. All will be well. Because the darkness will give way to the light. We had a phone call on Friday night from Colleen Hoffman, the grandmother of Colette. Right? Just getting back to normal life. I saw Ainsley this morning. How sweet to see her back with us. Same situation with these families going through really dark and difficult times. And we're so glad to see Ainsley this morning. She's beautiful. She's this big, but she's beautiful. Colleen talked to Kim. And just this guttural weeping, the cancer is back. What do you say for that on the other end of a phone? You say nothing. There are no cliches that work. You say nothing. But you know what she was saying? She was quoting scripture. She was assuring herself. She was trusting in God. She was reaching out to believers. There is hope and there is purpose. And so, let me just say before we move on, wherever you find yourself, if not there today, there will be a day. And remember, when it is dark, sit down. The sun comes up in the morning. It will come up in the morning. Our God is faithful. He's not left us alone. He has given us his word, his spirit, the church, believers, those who have walked through these valleys already. I, I, could, I could point out scores of people this morning who have been in very dark, deep, troubling times. And they sat down. It may have been for a long time, but they sat down. The sun comes up in the morning. And so understand that today. Elijah is depressed. And I don't think that this gives us all the answers. I think there are good things there. But let's move on to the point of the scripture this morning. What we do know from what we've studied. Let me give you the first two points that we talked about two weeks ago, just to refresh your memory as we look at this story. And then we'll move on to the the main point for this morning. Number one, if you recall from two weeks ago, there are limitations to evidence. Here we have a story of God coming um, to Israel's aid. There was no denying what happened on Mount Carmel, right? I mean, the fire fell, the sacrifice was licked up, there was nothing left. Everyone saw it, everyone witnessed it, everyone knew about it, and yet when Jezebel hears about it, this is the evidence, this is the truth, this is the fact. She doesn't believe, she doesn't receive, she ignores the evidence. Listen to me, information is not transformation. Mark it down. You can tell people the truth, and we live in a really world really weird world. That's really hard to say. You should try that. Really weird world today. It's weird. Because you go on the internet and you can find truth to back up everything you believe without any pushback. Really dangerous. Really dangerous. But the truth is, there is no guarantee that people hear truth. They'll be changed. Information is not transformation. We see it in the spiritual lives of people. There are people who have heard the gospel over and over again, and yet they've not been transformed. And we understand that if our gospel is hid, it is hid to those who are perishing because their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. 
And again, this morning, if you're here without Christ and you've, you've heard the gospel over and over again, quit taking that news and making excuses like, yeah, I know, but I'm good. I know I've heard that, but I'm religious. I know I heard that, but I've got my own way. Listen, you are rejecting truth. And if there's a tinge in your heart that says, oh, this might be true, then today is a day of salvation. Repent, believe, God, open my eyes to the truth of the gospel. We see that in the spiritual life. We see it in our own lives. Listen, believer, our problems are not what we don't understand in the scripture. Our problems are what we do understand, the evidence that God gives us, and we ignore it. And we make excuses. And we think we're the exception. We're not. We're not. May God's people this morning say, Lord, as you show me truth, as you expose truth, as you expose my heart, may I receive and accept it. So, understand that there are limitations to evidence. Number two, we said, uh, the level of our passion. Elijah is despondent. Elijah is depressed. Why? And if we believe what he says, he says, listen to his words, your people, God, have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and have slain your prophets. Elijah's upset. Elijah is depressed. Elijah is dark and deep in his spiritual life right now. And it's because God's name, God's glory, God's worth has been forsaken by God's people. And we have to ask the question again. What is it within us that makes us mad, provoked, animated, or awakened? Because whatever that is, that passion with us tells us what's important in our hearts. Some of you folks get all bent out of shape about all the idiots around you. Oh, they're so stupid, I can't stand them. Look at that, look at them. And may I suggest to you that that irritation in your heart may be more of a problem with you than everyone around you? It's amazing how God lavishes grace upon us, and we see people lavish grace upon us. But the moment someone wrongs us or doesn't agree with us or is mad with us, it's like, you people are all idiots. Listen, you should pastor a church sometime. That is more of a reflection on you. What is it that animates you? What is it that gets you all jazzed up? Are you more concerned about the score in a game than ever shedding a tear about a living soul? That's problematic. And what that reveals in our hearts is we've lost sight of eternity. We have lost sight of eternity. The things that break God's heart should break our hearts, the spiritual condition of our own selves, of our children, of anemic believers, of drifting families. May we love the things that God loves. Our level of passion exposes our heart. And then this morning, and this is the only point I'm making this morning, if you've not gotten anything else, this is the one for today. Number three, I want you to see the lightning of our load by the Savior. The lightning of our load by our Savior. In this story, we see the tenderness of God toward Elijah when he's in a bad place. James chapter 5, I think it's verses 17 and 18. This is not on the computer. But it talks about Elijah's prayer life, and it says something very interesting about Elijah. It says, Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. Or, the same nature that we have. And what James is reminding us is this. Although God used Elijah in a very supernatural way, 
He was just like you. He was just like me. His temperament, his demeanor, his highs, his lows, his hopes, his dreams, they were just like us. He was human. And when we read these stories, we've got to remember there are no super, super spiritual people in the Bible that are above everything. These are men and women who are like us. And so he says, Elijah's like us. Well, here's Elijah now, and guess what? He's hurting. I mean, he's really hurting. All of his dreams, the way he thought this was going to turn out, doesn't. It doesn't. His hopes have been shattered. That relationship didn't turn out the way I thought it would. That marriage didn't turn out the way I thought it would. My kids didn't turn out the way I hoped it would. My job, my situation, where I find myself, this is problematic, and this is what Elijah is doing, and we do the same thing. We have hopes, we have dreams, we have desires, and all of a sudden, this didn't turn out the way I thought it should have and the way I hoped it would have. So his hopes have been shattered, and not only that, he's just traveled 120 miles. He is hot, weary, and tired. And again, he's traveling through a wilderness. There's no 7-Eleven on the corner out there. Right? There's no Slurpee machine and Big Gulp. and There's none of that. He's not carrying a cooler. So he goes after 120 miles. He falls down and he passes out. He is drained. He has nothing left. Ever been there? I mean, where you're, you're numb. Today will be the day, over the last seven days, I have preached 12 times. Over the last seven days. So I was at camp last week and did some other things 12 times. Can I tell you something? I have nothing left. I am numb. And I didn't even take a 120-mile walk anywhere. This is Elijah. He's passed out. Now watch what God says to him as this angel touches him. Watch what he sees. It says in verse number 6 of our text, he, got, he was touched, the angel woke him up, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water. Think with me for a second. Does a cake and a cruise in the story of Elijah sound vaguely familiar to anybody? Have you heard that phrase anywhere before? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Where have you heard that before in this story? Where? The widow woman. Right? A matter of fact, it is the exact phrase. The word for cruise or jar, it's the same. So listen to me. This has already happened in his life. God wakes him up in his time of despair and trouble and agony. And what he does is, he gives a visual display there and he says to Elijah, look it, there's a Cake on the coals. There is a cruise of water. You've been here before. Remember last time? No food. Remember the famine? Remember the widow that I took you to to sustain you? A widow in the Iron Age is ridiculous. There's no hope there. And yet the cruise of oil and the cake never failed. And here's the point. This is the lightning of our load because the Lord himself says to Elijah, remember, 
Remember, you have been here before. Remember of the past provisions. Remember, I have been faithful to you. And so this morning, as we think of our own loads and our own burdens, we must remember that God has been faithful. And so we go back to him and remind ourselves of his goodness. Right? Past provisions. Don't get nervous. I know when I do this, people start sweating. Right? Don't sweat. Okay? Mr. Cameron, top of the morning to you. Rest of the day to yourself, Matt. Mr. Cameron, how old are you? 87. 87. Mr. Cameron, how long have you been walking with the Lord? That was Irish. I'm sorry, that wasn't Scottish. 80 years. About 80 years. 80 years walking with the Lord. 25 or 25. Okay. 25 years. All right. So, in that time, have you ever had trouble? Have you had difficulties? Has the Lord ever failed you? No, sir. 80 years walking this planet. Trouble, difficulties. I bet if we had the time today, you could tell a story after story of God's amazing. You had nothing. Not working for 18 months and trusting the Lord. And at 86, you're still standing. Amen. You know what God says? Remember. Remember. And at times when he was not working, they were remembering and trusting. Psalm 37, you've heard this verse, right? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. He goes on to say this, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hands. And then this, I have been young, and now I am 86 years old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging for bread. Dear saints, we have heavy burdens. We have heavy loads. And God says, remember, my track record, it's good. It's very good. Not only to remember, but then he tells us to relinquish. Relinquish. And, and we can argue about this point I don't feel like arguing today, so let me just tell you why I came down on this. When God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? I I just have a hard time thinking this is a rebuke, and I'll tell you why. Because God called him there. After 120 miles, God says, here's some meat, here's some drink. It's going to have to sustain you. You come to my place. 250 miles away, you come to Mount Sinai. You come to Moses' spot. You come to the place where I made a covenant with these people who have turned their back on me. You come to me. He is not surprised when he says to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? God knew he was there. God called him there. And I do believe, as you read the text, and God doesn't answer when he says, what are you doing here? Elijah says, I've been, I've been zealous for the Lord, and da-da-da. He says it again. God doesn't answer him, but what God does do is, right afterwards, God sends judgment to those people who have broken the covenant. Look at it. Hazel, Jehu, Elijah. All instruments of judgment. And it's as if God is saying, Elijah, make your case. Elijah, unburden your soul. Elijah, tell me all about it, and I will take care of these things. Unburden your soul and relinquish that to God. Oh, God is tender with us. Uh, okay, I have been, I have been um, admonished at times 
um, by a woman who is near and dear to me, who loves me more than any man on the planet. She says, Rick, sometimes you say things and you're transparent in such a way and open in such a way that people who aren't spiritual will come back. I know your, your blood just drained from your face. It's too late. Um, <laughs> you say things sometimes about your character and your nature, and you put it out there, and when you do, I'm just telling you, there are people who later on in life will take those things and use them against you. And, that, and that's true. That does happen. So if I say I'm struggling with something and I just let it out there, there are people who use that against me. And so I'm fully aware of that this morning. But I say to you this, um, the things I let out of here, God already knows about them, and he knows far more than you will ever know. And yet I'm still accepted by the gospel of Christ. So I can be transparent, and you can bring this up again if you'd like to. Some probably will, but I don't care. Because when you do, I'll say, go listen to that message. I told you you would do that. My wife was right about you. All right? I am not naturally gentle. I know you think that's crazy, Paul. <laughs> I am not naturally gentle. I, I am passionate. Um, I, have, I have within me, I have anger. I do. I, I know it's there. I know it's there. And I have to tell you, I, I'm aware of it, and I, I really do try to work on those things. I really do. Um, I am more in your face. This is a problem. It's easy for me. And, and I, I can say why, but it doesn't matter. But I know this. Kim and I went out to dinner uh, with the pastor and his wife uh, two weeks ago. And I really love and respect the man. And as I was sitting, listening to him talk about Christ and sinners and people he's dealing with, he was so gentle. I mean, gentle. I was so convicted from listening to his conversation about people and his sheep and the cause of Christ, that I left and I said, oh, God, forgive me. I am not gentle like the Savior. Because when I listened to him talk, I saw Jesus. And listen to me. And I'm working on that. And So if I yell at you, just know I'm working on it. Okay? But I saw Christ in that man. And it changed me. And what I'm telling you is that this God that we serve longs to lighten our burdens, and he is gentle. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 11, and you know this. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't it beautiful? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will judge this world with a rod of iron. But right now, he says to you, are you heavy and burdened by your sin? Is that weight of guilt and regret crashing in on you. And if it is, here is my gentle invitation. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm reading a book, or I've read a book. I'm actually reading another one by F.W. Forham. Forham. And uh, he's a great little writer. And he was talking about finding God in in nature, how people say, well, I don't need 
to go to church. I don't need fellowship like that. I'm just going to go out to nature and worship God. And granted, nature is beautiful. But you know what? Nature is also violent. I mean, really violent. Kim and I had Remy and Hudson at the house a couple weeks ago. And she walked around to the front. And as she walked around the front, there was a fox snake in our flower bed. It was huge. And it had a toad in its mouth halfway down. I think those kids were traumatized. I mean, they were like, bah! And Kim was traumatized. It was violent. Violent. And people go and say, listen, I'm going to go to nature and find God. Can I tell you something? Here's what Borum says, and I think it's a great line. When we go to nature and look for God, here's what nature says to us. It's not here. He's not here. He's not here. And what he's talking about, he's not talking about the creative power of God. What he's saying is that the cry of the human heart is redemption. And nature has never said to you in its whisper, come on to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Nature cannot say, take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. It can't. All it can do is say, your answer is not here. It's with Christ. And so this morning, if you are heavy under the weight of sin, like Pilgrim, in Pilgrim's Progress, with that burden that was crippling and suffocating, it's not until he got to the hill of Calvary that the burden rolled away. And this morning, I'm telling you something. My friend, the guilt and the sin and the shame that will condemn us, Christ says, come to me and I will take it and I will bear it because I've borne it. Not only did I bear it, I satisfied the wrath of Almighty God. I died for you and three days later, I got up and now you can be clean in my power. That's a good deal, man. That's a good deal. And God says, you come unto me and I will lighten your load. So if you don't know him today, take that burden to Calvary. As you kneel to Jesus Christ, that burden will roll all the way down the hill into the sea of God's forgetfulness. Never to be remembered again. To be clean, to be free. That's oh, a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Our God is tender. Come unto me. And for those of us who are saved, who've been to Calvary's fountain already, who've been washed in the blood, who've been set free, we know that there's still anxiety in our life. There is still fear in our life. There is still worry in our life. There is still hurt in our life. And yet our Savior says, remember when? Remember then? Remember what I did? And then he says, relinquish that. Let it go. Cast your care upon me. There are times we, we, we cry and we weep and say, God, do you know? Do you hear? Do you care? Are you even troubled by my trouble? And he says, listen to me, my child. I put your tears in a bottle. I've numbered the hairs on your head. I know all about it. Unload those burdens. Cast your care upon me. Because I will sustain you. I will never let the righteous be moved. And so this morning, my dear brother and sister in Christ, if you're not here with a heavy heart, if you're not in trouble, praise God for it. Amen. But understand, there are only three kinds of people. Those who are in the midst of trouble, those who are coming out of trouble, and those who are headed into trouble. That's, that's it. And Elijah's in trouble. 
And I love to see the tenderness of our God who says, listen, Elijah, remember. You'd be amazed. If you would take the time to go back over your life at troublesome times in your life when it was dark and dreary, you will see glimpses over and over again of God's gentle, loving, tender provision. And then he says, relinquish. Let it go, man. Let it go. Take that burden to Calvary. And let me say something. I am glad for a church that we can do that with one another, and we ought to. We should bear one another's burdens. But the first place you ought to stop is in the throne room. You should stop there and say, Lord, this burden is heavy. I'm giving this to you. And watch the tenderness of our God, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. There's so much here, and I, I, I hope there wasn't too much. I hope that you understand what was being said. We have purpose and we have hope. We thank God for that. And here in the midst of Elijah's life, we learned some valuable lessons. And the one for this morning is this, that our God is tender and our loads can be lightened. They can. We must remember and we must relinquish. Let it go. Say, I did that. Do it again. I did that twice. Do it again. I've been there over. Do it again. Go back and back. And You can't bear it. I can't bear it. But he can. And so trust him this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Lord, help us to see you in a new light. Help us to see the tenderness and the gentleness of our Savior. And Lord, help it today to encourage us where you find us that we can remember your faithfulness over the years, that we can relinquish this heaviness because we can't bear it. But Father, we're so thankful that the eternal shoulders of God can't bear all of our grief and pain. And so we thank you. Help your people to trust into you this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.